Just as we know what we want our bodies to look like, it's important that we know what we want our mind to feel like. The mind is a muscle we use every single day to be creative at work, to be effective at home, to be productive in our own businesses as entrepreneurs or whatever you may be doing. Just as the body needs to eat, exercise and be engaged to get stronger, so does our mind. Hello everyone and welcome back to On Purpose. I am genuinely so grateful and touched by all of the engagement, all of the messages, all of the social media sharing that you're doing, the ratings, the reviews. I genuinely look through them every single week and I feel so deeply happy that these podcasts are improving and having an impact in your life. Thank you for trusting me. Thank you for being here. I'm genuinely so appreciative of each and every one of you. Today's episode is something that I believe in so much and I really want you to take a listen of this one. Listen all the way through because the practical, applicable tips that I'm going to give you are going to make a huge difference in your life. And that's one of the biggest things that I'm doing differently on this podcast is that these insights are not just philosophical, they're not intellectual, they're practical. They're things that you can start applying right now. And that's why today's theme is seven simple things to do this weekend to boost your mental health. Now listen carefully. A lot of us have fitness goals. We have an idea of what we want our bodies to look like. And many of us visit the gym regularly, or at least we want to, and we aspire to. It's so important to have a good workout routine or plan, but it's just as important to have a gym for the mind. Just as we know what we want our bodies to look like, it's important that we know what we want our mind to feel like. The mind is a muscle we use every single day to be creative at work, to be effective at home, to be productive in our own businesses as entrepreneurs or whatever you may be doing. Just as the body needs to eat, exercise and be engaged to get stronger, so does our mind. And there's a massive link between physical and mental health too. Now, you don't have to be struggling with anxiety or stress or pressure to focus on boosting your mental health. So if your mind's telling you right now, I don't need this, I feel great, then please carry on listening to this. Just like you don't need to have a physical challenge to go to the gym, you don't need to have a mental challenge to go to the mind gym. Being proactive about our mental health is the best decision we can make. And the truth is, stress is something none of us can avoid whether it's at the workplace, whether it's family challenges, whether it's our finances, it's something we all go through. And sometimes it's actually very useful. It helps us get focused. It pushes us forward. And everyone from athletes to musicians and performers experience it. It's what we do about stress that matters. Often our reaction is, oh no, why am I stressed? I shouldn't be stressed. Why am I going through this? Oh no, things are so stressful. But think about it like this for a moment. Every day you get hungry. And I'm sure you never think to yourself, oh no, why am I hungry? Why am I hungry? Why is this happening? You just eat some food. Every day, believe it or not, it's true. We get dirty, we get sweaty, sometimes we get smelly. And you don't sit there worrying about why am I got sweaty today or why am I dirty today or why am I smelly today? You just know you have to take a shower. So because we know that we are going to experience stress and it's something that we will experience daily, It's important we find things we can do to reduce it and manage it, just like we manage our hunger, our fatigue, and our cleanliness. When you know it's coming, you just have to know what will help it. 
So here are the seven things I'd love for you to apply in your life so that you can experience the difference on a daily basis. And I would recommend you reflect on these, introspect on these, and try some of them out this weekend or whenever you're listening to this. Number one, remove perfectionism. How many of us are so focused on trying to make everything perfect? Whether you're releasing a video, whether you're writing a blog, whether you're trying to get a report together, and we keep pushing ourselves and challenging ourselves where it actually starts to get strenuous. And this is the point at which our performance actually drops. So there's a level of performance where we feel positively challenged, and then it goes beyond a tipping point where actually any challenge actually becomes a strain and our performance level drops. And all of us have to figure out what that means for us. Now, I'll be completely honest with you. All of my videos are 70 to 75% complete. I've never tried to release a video that is 99 or 100% complete. Let me explain why. In some of my videos, you'll find that I fumble words. There are times when I'm in the zone, I'm in flow, and I mispronounce a word. But I want you to have a real genuine experience of what I'm thinking about or what I'm channeling. And so I will just keep moving forward. And I won't want to re-edit that because there's an energy about that that really connects with you and that really resonates. And so I aim for a 70 to 75% completion. I also know that the amount of time it would take for me to make a video go from 75 to 99 will mean I may never release a video in my life. And more importantly, being a perfectionist can seriously harm our mental health. The effects of perfectionism can include increased rates of anxiety, depression, and even suicidal thoughts, among other health problems. Perfectionism can add a lot of stress to your life, and we don't need that. Cultivating self-compassion can help heal the potential harmful effects of perfectionism. That's what Harvard Health recommends. And what that means is starting to find ways where you encourage yourself, noticing things you get right, noticing the impact that you have. One of the ways you can do this is asking a group of close friends what positive impact you have in their life. When you hear those answers, you'll be able to recognize that there are things that you're doing that already have an impact without you even being conscious. This is something known as unconscious competence. Every day we do countless things well without even knowing that we're doing them. When we recognize them and appreciate them, we can encourage ourselves to move forward. Another beautiful way of removing perfectionism is helping others and just seeing how much they value you in the process. So cultivate a mood of self-compassion. This requires a bit of reflection. It requires a bit of time, but it will help you move beyond becoming a perfectionist. Now, that doesn't mean you don't work hard. It doesn't mean that you don't make incredible work. It doesn't mean that you give up or get lazy. What it means is you're willing to learn from everything you do. You're willing to learn from everything you launch. When I share a video, for me, it's an experiment. You're learning from it. You're exploring an idea. You're exploring how people connect with it. And that's a much more exciting, liberating, and non-judgmental way of yourself to learn and grow. Now, this second tip and second principle that I'd love for you to start today, this weekend, wherever you are right now, and I promise you it will be life-changing. When I lived as a monk, we were trained to do one thing at a time. It's something I now call single tasking instead of multitasking. Most of us think we can multitask. 
And studies show that actually only 2% of the world can actually multitask. And the funny thing is, when we hear that, we all think it's us. But the truth is, most of us are in the 98% that can't multitask. Anxiety is usually about trying to juggle multiple things. How many times have you ever been in that situation where you know you've got a million things to do, you end up trying to do all of them at the same time, and you end up achieving nothing? How many times have you been in that position before? So when you eat, just eat. Experience every flavor, every scent, every bite. When you're with someone, fully engage, eye contact, focus, listening, engage all your senses. Single tasking is doing one thing at a time and it's a brilliant way to boost your mental health because it allows your body and mind to do the one thing it needs to do. When you're eating food and all you do is eat, you're digesting it better. Your food is giving you all the nutrients your body needs. When you're just drinking water, your body is processing that water. When you're just having a conversation, your focus and your mind is processing just that one thing. We experience peace when what we think, what we say, and what we do are aligned. How many times have you ever had that experience in your life where you're thinking one thing, saying another thing, and doing another? right? Sometimes we're eating food, reading about an article, and thinking about work. So oftentimes this disconnect in what we're doing, thinking, and feeling on a daily basis is what creates stress, is what creates pressure, and is what creates anxiety. And even though you may think you achieve more by multitasking, actually you don't because your energy is spread across a number of tasks, things take longer, you become less productive, and you become more tired. When you do one thing at a time, your focus is completely pinpointed on that activity and therefore you automatically boost productivity, boost effectiveness, and even boost your creativity. Principle number three is based on the famous Harvard study that you may have heard about. But even if you haven't, let me explain it. In a 75-year-old Harvard study, studying humans' lives for 75 years, they found the clearest message that we get is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. Not how much money is in your savings account. Not how many keynotes you gave in your life. Not how many posts you posted on Instagram or how many followers you have or how many tech companies you worked for or how influential you were or how powerful you are. No. The biggest predictor of your happiness and meaning in life is love and relationships. But let me go a step further because maybe you've heard that before and you think, Jay, I've heard this so many times, but what does that mean? And I have lots of friends, so what does that look like? So let me go a step deeper for you. Specifically, the study demonstrates that having someone to rely on helps your nervous system relax. It helps your brain stay healthier for a longer period of time and even reduces emotional and physical pain and trauma. And one of the most incredible things is that the study shows that those who feel lonely are more likely to see their physical health decline earlier and even die younger. But there's an even more important point here. Loneliness can still be experienced even in company. Listen to that carefully. Loneliness can even be experienced when you're surrounded by thousands of people or have thousands of friends online. It's not just the number of friends you have, and it's not whether or not you're in a committed relationship. It's the quality and depth of your close relationships that matters. And what that means is how much vulnerability and depth exists within your relationship. 
And that's judged by these three things. Listen carefully. In your relationships, ask yourself, who is feeding these things you need and who are you feeding these things for? And remember, it can be multiple people who do one of these. The biggest mistake we can make is expect one person to be all of these. The best thing we can do is find one thing in many people. But these are the three things that dictate whether the quality of our relationships is really powerful. Number one, how safe you feel sharing with one another. Your depths, your vulnerabilities, your experiences. How much can you share your true self? Number two, the extent to which you can relax and be seen for who you truly are. How many people are there in the world who truly know what you're like, what you want to do, lay back, relax, and just be yourself? And the third is being able to be vulnerable, right? Being able to share your challenges and your pain points. That's a really, really important point. And remember, like I said, do not expect one person to be all of these things. Find multiple people who can do one thing each. That's principle number three. Now on to principle number four. This is a great one for this weekend. Know what helps you relax for real. Whether it's a hot bath, quality time with your pets, a yoga class, a meditation class, know what really helps you unwind. So many of us are always busy planning our schedules. We don't plan time to unwind. We don't plan time to take out. Me and my wife at the beginning of this year made a commitment to each other that we would take off together three days every 30 days. So we would spend a weekend away every 30 days together, not far, it could be an hour distance from where we live, or it could even be staying at home. But it would be a weekend that we spent relaxing, not on our phones, not always busy with another plan, not going to events, but just being together with each other. And that downtime, that space, is so, so powerful. One of my favorite things, obviously, that helps me relax is my meditation practice. Now, I meditate for two hours a day. It's a practice I've built up over a period of time, which includes breathing exercises, includes mantra meditation, and it includes visualization. And that's something that really helps me calm. It helps me relax. It helps me find space in my lives. And I'll do a lot more on that in the future as well. Now, number five is kind of a side point from number four, but I wanted to raise it as its own point because it's truly valuable in itself. And principle number five is if you know what you want to do to relax, make sure that you're choosing learning or enlightenment over entertainment. Not all the time. There are times when entertainment's important, but there is a need for us to look at the proportions of our time. Take a moment with me. I wanted to raise this important point. For so many of us, relaxation is entertainment and television. And it feels harmless, but here's what science says about books or learning versus television. In 2013, a study was performed by Tohoku University in Japan, and the team examined the effects of television on the brains of 276 children, along with the amount of time spent watching TV and its long-term effects. And the research found that the more TV kids watched, parts of their brain associated with the higher arousal and aggression levels became thicker. The frontal lobe also thickened, which is known to lower verbal reasoning ability. The more hours of television the kids watched, the lower their verbal test results became. These negative effects in the brain happened regardless of the child's age, gender, or economic background. In the same year, a study was done on how reading a novel affected the brain. 
Gregory Burns and his colleagues at Emory University wanted to see the before and after effects of reading based on MRI readings. College students were asked to read Pompeii by Robert Harris, a thriller based on the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in Italy. The book was chosen due to its strong narration and dramatic plot based on true events. After reading the novel, the students had increased connectivity in parts of the brain that were related to language. There was also increased activity in the sensory motor region of the brain, suggesting that readers experience similar sensations to the characters in the book. And I want to thank Melissa Chu for this article that I found on Medium, and I thought it was brilliant where I got this research from. So thank you, Melissa. And this is the incredible thing. This isn't just applicable to reading books. It's audiobooks. It's listening to podcasts that are about learning. Podcasts like this, the one you're listening to right now, make you aware. So when you come back to your challenges of life, when you switch back into your work or your family or your routine, you have more information to transform your human experience, to not just deal with challenges, but to actually grow with them. The two options we always have are to either escape or elevate. When we just switch on the TV and watch something mindless to numb our mind, we're not refueling. We're just getting to a point of escaping. But when you choose to learn, whether it's reading, whether it's an audiobook, whether it's growth-based material, whether it's coaching, all of those things are helping you elevate. So when you come back to your real life, you have more transformative wisdom to make a difference. Now, I'm not saying that escaping and entertainment are bad options at all. I do them all the time. I absolutely love football. I love watching the sport. I obviously love playing the sport, which is great for my health. But I'm not saying it's bad to want entertainment at all. All I'm saying is that we have to be aware. Are we escaping or elevating? And if we escape for too long, we don't find the tools to help us deal with the everyday challenges of life. Now, there are also long-term effects from reading books. Reading keeps your mind alert and delays cognitive decline in the elders. Research even found that Alzheimer's is 2.5 times less likely to appear in elderly people who read regularly, while TV was presented as a risk factor. Six minutes of reading can reduce stress levels by 68%, according to researchers at the University of Sussex. Reading at 68% even beat out other relaxing activities, including listening to music, which was 61%, drinking tea or coffee, which was 54%, and even taking a walk, which was 42%. And it is true that watching documentaries or watching educational or learning-based programming on TV can have better effects and impacts. So it's more about the content we're consuming as opposed to the medium of consumption. And I think this is a really important point to make. It's not about books versus watching. Of course, books have a powerful impact on us because television is designed to be passive. After switching to the show you like, you can just sit back and watch everything and let it all happen in front of you. And TV also presents ideas and characters on a surface level, right? You don't get the time, there's all these ad breaks. It doesn't really become a reflective or introspective process. Whereas coaching, audiobooks, podcasts, books, they have that proactive form of entertainment and learning. When education becomes our entertainment, we're guaranteed to elevate our lives. Now, how do you find more time to read? One of my favorite things is something I call gap reading. I carry a book all the time. And therefore, whether I'm waiting at an airport, someone's late for a meeting, whatever situation it is, I have the opportunity to pull out the book 
in the gap. I could be waiting for a bus, a train, a plane. I could be waiting for someone. I could be commuting and I can pick that out. And that also includes audiobooks. That includes podcasts just like this one. So you're already doing the right things and it's how you can do them more. And readers who use paper books have an easier time remembering the content than even tablet readers. So if you really want retention to be one of your focus points, paper books help a lot. Traditional books provide a sense of progress as readers flip through your pages, along with a great immersion as well. Now, principle number six. This one is about physical exercise. Mental and physical health are closely linked, which is why taking up a sport or doing exercise can never be a bad thing. A study found completing just one hour of exercise per week at an intensity could be enough to prevent depression for some patients. The landmark study published in the American Journal of Psychiatry worked with more than 33,000 Norwegian adults to analyze their levels of exercise and symptoms of depression and anxiety over 11 years. Researchers concluded that even small amounts of exercise can protect against depression, with mental health benefits seen regardless of age or gender. And therefore, exercising in nature, exercising in the outdoors, hiking, walking. There are so many powerful ways to exercise. If you don't love sports or you don't love the gym, there are so many more opportunities now. And the seventh and final principle that I really, really am excited to share with you is volunteering. It may sound counterintuitive. You may hear that and say, well, I'm struggling. How do I have time to help people? The funny thing is, it works. Helping others is good for us and can improve our well-being. Firstly, when you help someone else, it releases endorphins, which then activate parts of your brain associated with trust, pleasure, and social connection. Volunteering and being part of a community of other people who want to make an impact, who want to make a change, reduces isolation and loneliness and helps you connect with people without an agenda. How do you find someone in a bar or a club or a pub without an agenda? How do you find someone at work without an agenda? But if you're coming together just to serve a community, to help, to make a difference, it can be absolutely huge. These random acts of kindness can boost our mental health, give us the community we need as well. I've really been focusing on that with my teams and the people I work with. And when I lived as a monk, volunteering and charity work was one of the biggest reasons I did it. I was able to live for a purpose greater than myself. And that really made me realize the value of service and volunteering. So if you can find something that you can do this weekend that you're passionate about, whether it's helping the homeless or feeding people, it can be small, it doesn't have to change the world, but guess what, you are changing the world. When you change one person's life, you're changing the world because that person is in the world we live in. You are changing the world. A small act can have a huge impact on you and the life of another person. So these are today's seven principles, seven simple things to do this weekend to boost your mental health. The first one is focus on removing perfectionism. The second one is focus on single tasking versus multitasking. The third is build relationships that are really based on vulnerability, on depth, and being able to be who you truly are. The fourth is know what really helps you relax. Number five, focus on education versus entertainment because learning helps you elevate while entertainment can sometimes only provide you an escape. Number six, a really, really powerful and important one is making sure we exercise and get outdoors. And number seven is volunteer and serve 
others. We find ourselves when we lose ourselves in the service of others. There's something Gandhi said and something that makes a huge impact in our day-to-day lives. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you learned and gained so many new ideas. All I want and all I recommend is test one of these out this weekend. You don't have to do all seven. Don't go crazy. Don't try and do everything at the same time. Simply do one of these deeply. Rather than doing a lot of them on a surface level, just try one deeply. I can't wait for you to see the changes. Make sure you post your learnings and lessons and biggest takeaways on Instagram. I can't wait to see you change your life with some of these rules and some of these ideas today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. I love the fact that you're part of the On Purpose community. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening through to the end of that episode. I hope you're going to share this all across social media. Let people know that you're subscribed to On Purpose. Let me know. Post it. Tell me what a difference it's making in your life. I would love to see your thoughts. I can't wait for this incredibly conscious community we're creating of purposeful people. You're now a part of the tribe, a part of the squad. Thank you for being here. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. Thank you.